0: I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I've been podcasting now for two and a half years. I really wanted to extend the walls of my practice. I was tired of the confusion and really some of the ignorance about what therapy really is, so I thought I'd bring me, a therapist to a podcast so that you could listen. I wanted to reach out to those of you who might already be comfortable with emotional and psychological issues, may even be in therapy yourself, to those of you who might have been recently diagnosed and are looking for answers or perhaps have relationship problems that are a bit overwhelming, but also to a third group, those of you who wouldn't necessarily ever darken the door of a therapist, but would be just curious to know what one might have to say. I am so delighted that many of you have let me know via my email, Margaret at drmargaretbrotherford.com, that you have sought therapy yourself because of this podcast. I couldn't be more pleased. Today we're going to be talking about a requested topic from a listener who asked about father hunger. That term was actually first introduced in 1991 to give you a little historical data and was tied to a book that was entitled by that name, Father Hunger, There it was described as the emptiness experienced by women whose fathers were physically or emotionally absent, a void that leads to unrealistic body image, yo-yo dieting, food fears, and disordered eating patterns. So this term has been with us since 1991. However, the question came from a male listener, and here's what he said. In my role as a college professor and former pastor, one topic that emerged repeatedly, it seems even to this day, is what I term a father-hole. So many people seem to drill down to this hole in their heart when I talk to them, from either an absent father due to divorce, or worse, a father who lived in the house but had no time or concern for them. I believe this would be a topic for your show that would touch many. What to do as an adult when the father you wanted and needed just wasn't there. Personally, I resolved that this was the genesis of my own perfectly hidden depression, always trying to get my father's attention, that I was worthy yet it never came. So I think this listener is talking about a more generic void that occurs when fathers are absent, either by divorce, death, or disinterest. And the numbers are actually staggering. A recent U.S. Census Bureau reports a very grim picture. Over one-third of children in America are, for various reasons, living absent from their biological father. And in the African-American community, 67% of children live in fatherless homes. So obviously, this is a huge problem. And these figures don't account for the fathers who don't either know how to connect with their kids, or work all the time, or who have addictions. Let's make sure, however, that we talk about the many dads that are right there in the thick of things. I've personally loved watching this dynamic morph into what it seems to be becoming And I salute all parents for doing what can certainly seem at times like the hardest job on the planet. And then, of course, there are the many children born with medical or mental health issues that need very special care and attention. So today, we're going to talk about what dads have to offer, what differences the research shows they make by their very presence, what kinds of problems occur when they're not around, even how the health of their sperm can affect their kids, in a relatively new science called epigenetics. And as always, we'll focus on what you can do about it if your biological father isn't or wasn't a part of your life. Our listener email today is from a man who's in a committed relationship with a partner who's out of state, and that partner is becoming depressed. The listener is trying to keep focused on his own career, but struggling with worry. So I'm so glad you're here. We're going to be talking about father absence, father hunger, what the listener called a father hole, hole in his heart. So I'm glad you're here. I remember the first dad I worked with several years ago who desperately wanted joint custody of his kids in his divorce and the anguish he felt when he didn't get it. Let's call him Jason. Jason dealt with what many people deal with in that situation, men and women alike, which is feeling disenfranchised. This is a feeling that you no longer matter, that the status that came along with being a biological parent was taken away from you in one fell swoop. You don't decide things about religion. You don't decide about schools. There are many things that you're not necessarily a part of. He was devastated. And I so remember him saying one time, in some ways, it would be easier to decide not to care, to just slip away. The pain is that great. Jason didn't do that. But it's the way many deal with not having custody. And since men still get custody less often than women, it's a common problem for fathers. Of course, fathers not being involved isn't always about divorce. It can be about what he learned in his family about the role of being a man. And then you can sadly do what your father and grandfather did and not be involved in any vulnerable or emotional way. Jason's one of many men I've enjoyed working with through the years, As our culture has watched men and women's roles changing so rapidly, both with each other and with their children, and more men are seeking therapy to help with the vulnerability they're finally opening up about. I remember a man, gosh, he told me a story about how his mother threw rocks at him, and he kind of laughed when he told the story. By five or six sessions in, he looked at me, and he was able to touch that vulnerability. Helping these kinds of men has been such an honor. But now we're seeing Super Bowl commercials featuring dads and kids or advertisements galore showing dads not just active with their kids, but providing for their care on a daily basis. I've worked with stay-at-home dads as well. And what I notice is that they value the same things that stay-at-home moms do and struggle with the same kind of issues. It wasn't always this way. One of the studies I read for this episode noted that an early 1980s research project studying the difference between how fathers and mothers played with their children revealed that for many of the dads, they'd never played alone with their own child until then. It's fascinating how much our culture is changing as men are reminded and see for themselves, hopefully, what a difference they can make on the health and well-being of their children. So, of course, I did some research, And we're going to be talking about some of the benefits. You might be able to guess some of them, but they're numerous. First, it affects them socially. Kids who have dads that are involved have more playful and affectionate interaction with other children. That's interesting. And there's also effect on their medical health. Both men's partners and their babies are healthier if they're involved From increased prenatal and postnatal health care visits to more successful breastfeeding to higher likelihoods parents will seek out immunizations and care for childhood illnesses. And not to get too scientific on me or you, but I thought this was fascinating. A review article conducted at Georgetown University Medical Center showed that both mothers and fathers contribute to their offspring's health via epigenetic alterations, basically how Their characteristics, their genetic characteristics, their lifestyle, their age contribute to the genetic health of their children. It was very obvious that the mothers did, but now they're actually looking at the factors that fathers bring. Here I'm going to quote, We know the nutritional, hormonal, and psychological environment provided by the mother permanently alters organ structure, cellular response, and gene expression in her offspring. But our study shows the same thing to be true with fathers. His lifestyle and how old he is can be reflected in molecules that control gene function. For instance, I just find this fascinating. A child can have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder even if the mother never drank alcohol. The study explained up to 75% of children with fetal alcohol syndrome have biological fathers who are alcoholics, suggesting that preconceptual paternal alcohol consumption negatively impacts their offspring. There are also academic benefits. When dads are involved, their children are more prepared for school. They're more successful academically. They're more likely to graduate and have higher levels of career success. And when they're absent, there's much more truancy. 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. And they're much, much more likely to be excluded at school and to actually leave school by age 16. And 85% of youth in prison had an absent father. So let's go back to the benefits. There's some emotional and verbal positives when dads are around. Their children start speaking earlier and are more verbally expressive, meaning they talk earlier and they have better language skills. But when dad's absent, children consistently report feeling abandoned, and they struggle with emotions and bouts of self-loathing. They're more prone to depression, fear, self-doubt, and even have problems with social adjustments. It's harder to make friends. So let's talk about how sons and daughters are more specifically affected by dad's presence or absence. For both genders, fatherless children are more likely to smoke, drink alcohol, abuse drugs. They're more prone to be homeless. 90% of runaway children have an absent father, are at a much greater risk for suffering physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. And a recent study reported that preschoolers not living with both of their biological parents are 40 times more likely to be sexually abused. So let's talk about sons. When dads involved, the rates of delinquency for boys go way down. Because boys don't have to develop that swaggering, intimidating persona in an attempt to disguise their underlying fears, resentment, anxieties, and unhappiness. We've all seen that. And what about daughters? You know, I've noticed that sometimes dads tend to steer clear of their daughters as they mature physically, but this is a big mistake. Your daughter needs you to provide safety as you give her appropriate feedback on her emerging womanhood, and she's far less likely to seek a sexual relationship with a boy if she has her dad's involvement. When dads aren't involved, promiscuity goes way up, teen pregnancy goes way up. As girls have an object hunger for men and experiencing the emotional loss of their father as rejection, they even can become susceptible to exploitation by adult men. When dad's around, daughters are more ambitious. If a daughter sees her dad doing household chores, believe it or not, it's a strong predictor of professional ambitions in daughters as they grow older. It's as if she can see that both genders are involved with career and both with domestic stuff. So it frees her up to have a more positive self-image. See how important you are, dads? (laughs) There are other problems, physical health problems, more mental health disorders, more unemployment, low income. They're more likely to have children outside of marriage or even outside of partnership. And each gender can choose a partner who will end being emotionally absent And play that dynamic all over again. Or you'll tend to choose someone who's very possessive, which at the beginning of the relationship feels like the love you didn't get, the caring you didn't receive. And you don't even see it as smothering or controlling until it's too late. And actually this one is very dramatic. Fatherless children are more likely to die as children and live an average of four years less over the lifespan. So all those are the facts. What can you do about the actual wounds and how to begin healing them? Jed Diamond, who's a psychologist, has a blog called Men Alive, and he gives six things that can happen. It's a really good blog if you want to go over there. again called Men Alive. It's a website. You can get very stuck in blame, not blaming your dad, but blaming yourself, and we'll talk more about that. Your worth can be very shaky. You're cut off from your feelings. This is true for women, too. You're prone to addictions or means of escape. You get depressed and turn it into anger. And you obviously have huge problems with trust. And then I added one to Jed's ideas. Because I think it's tied in with perfectly hidden depression, you develop an I'll prove him wrong mentality and become very perfectionistic and highly driven. In fact, I well remember a man who was a millionaire when I saw him. And he was struggling with the decision to divorce. He said, my life's dream has always been to use what I do for good. I'd like to volunteer somewhere where my skills, he was an engineer, are needed. My immediate response was, what's stopping you? He got a brief kind of far off look in his eye and said, because I never can convince myself I'm successful enough. My dad said I never would be. So let's talk about what you can do about it. I love this quote from Terence Reel's book, I Don't Want to Talk About It, and that book is for men who struggle to talk about their emotions and their experiences. He's talking to a client, and the client says, You mean, if I don't feel it, I live it? And he looks at him and says, There's no way around that. If you don't feel it, you live it. If you don't connect with those feelings of loss, anger, fear, whatever, and then challenge and change the message to yourself— that you don't have value, or you've got to prove that you have value, then your fatherlessness can sabotage your life. So there are nine things that you can do. The most important, and obviously the first, is you have to allow yourself to feel. As Brene Brown has been saying everywhere to anyone who would listen to her, you find your strength through your vulnerability. The second thing is to read Terrence Reel's book, I Don't Want to Talk About It, or Brene Brown's work, Daring Greatly. That's also, of course, for women. The best thing you can do is explore books on healing from being fatherless. There's several books on fatherless daughters. There are books on healing the loss of a father. All you have to do is Google. The third thing is recognize it as a problem. Good parents show up. I don't care how bad the divorce was or how hard his job is. A healthy, caring father shows up and yours didn't. There's the grief, and that's where you may blame yourself. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't important enough. But you have to make sure that you recognize the problem for where it lived, and it lived in your dad. Now, often we can say, but mom and dad fought all the time. It was easier if dad wasn't around, or I had to choose between mom and dad, or I felt like I was betraying mom if I liked being with dad. Those are terrible, terrible consequences Of non-amicable divorce. But that was not about your own value. I've certainly heard stories from people who have realized that that was going on between their mom and their dad and have tried as adults to have a better relationship with their father. We'll talk about that in a second. So when you're going back and thinking about whatever circumstances there were, whether your dad was in the next room and he was drunk or he just wasn't interested or he didn't come home from work until nine or ten o'clock, what did you feel? You have to develop compassion for that little boy or girl who so desperately wondered why their dad didn't pick them up for planned visits. Why didn't they help them with their homework? Why they just never showed up for anything. The fifth thing is to recognize if you're living your pain out instead of connecting with it. Like the quote said, if you don't feel it, you live it. Are you using substances to escape? Are you yourself a workaholic and maybe repeating the same mistake your dad made? Do you live with a chip on your shoulder that life is unfair? Well, it is unfair. But if you're stuck in your pain from the past, that's legitimate pain, but you're carrying it around in the present. You have to learn to let it go. The sixth is try to determine if you're in a relationship or a marriage now where you're still working way too hard for approval. Or if you've chosen someone who doesn't have the capacity to truly be there for you. If you chose what was familiar and called it love. If this is the case, then you can switch your focus to your own growth. Make choices and changes that will slowly lead you to feeling more competent in yourself while realizing you're likely never to have the support of your partner as you begin to look at your own issues. They're likely to be very defensive about that and to see that as very threatening. The seventh is one I suggest carefully. Could you talk to your dad now? Or is he still not safe? Or is he simply not capable of any kind of reconciliation or connection? Maybe there could be healing there if he has the capacity. Maybe not. That's something else to grieve, but at least you get some emotional closure. I've certainly heard stories where dads do apologize, And it's not that kind of apology that goes, yes, but. It's, yes, you're right, I was a bad dad. What can I do now? What will you allow me to do now to show you that I care? But that's not always the case. The eighth thing is to find a self-development group of others who have these issues or one similar. Churches run them. Therapists run them. You can look for male friends whom you admire and who've proven that they're safe and who can talk with you about their viewpoint. Be careful that your own urgency to have that safe male isn't turning into a sexual encounter. You obviously have to be very careful here, as your safety meter may not be objective, and you certainly don't want to attract someone whose agenda is to save or control. But perhaps with time, you can look for and develop a relationship with an older male figure that can be healing. You may already have someone, a stepfather, a grandfather, a male teacher, but you never know where you might find someone who truly sees you and values you. The last thing is to begin therapy. Sometimes it's good to choose a male therapist if you have issues with being abandoned by a male, and that can be very healing. Other times, you might choose a female. What's most important is that they understand the hole in your heart that the listener talks about, and they help you to mend it. Our listener email today is from someone who's in a long-distance relationship, and he's really worried not only about his partner, but about the relationship deteriorating. He says, I want to start off by saying thank you. I appreciate you taking so much time out of your day to produce these amazing podcasts. Thank you. They are very thought provoking and are especially helpful for me right now. I am 25 years old and I currently live in California. I'm dealing with a few hardships and I can feel myself being swallowed by sadness and anxiety. I'm in a relationship with a guy who unfortunately lives in Georgia. And while we see each other as much as possible, the distance is becoming more difficult. We do have plans to move in with each other this fall. However, my boyfriend has recently started to show many symptoms of depression, and he's pushing me away. I'm doing what I can to be as supportive as possible, but I fear that I'm close to losing him, and I really don't want to. On top of that, I just received a huge promotion at work, and I'm now manager of a team for my company. I'm extremely grateful and excited, but I'm very nervous about my ability to handle the increase in work. What is worse is that I've recently noticed that I have a hard time focusing. This is mainly due to the fact that my mind keeps wandering to thinking about how my boyfriend is doing. One of the experiences I'm facing with him is that I will go a couple of days without hearing from him. This only causes more stress at work since I need to maximize my performance when I'm there. So, I respond. Thanks so much for being a listener. I'll do my best to answer your question." What I notice initially is your fear that your boyfriend's depression equates with potential rejection of you, and this has you fairly urgently and anxiously responding to the days where contact isn't occurring. Is it really him pushing away from you, or is he isolating or withdrawing due to his depression? It's, of course, difficult to not take it personally, but if you do, you'll not be able to hang on to your own stability. Is your boyfriend being seen by a therapist or a doctor? One of the things you might do proactively is to plan a session with his therapist where you call in and talk about what's going on. If he's not seeing a therapist, then you can urge him to do so. But as you often hear me say, look for what you have control over, actual control. However, if your urgency is about your fear of losing him because of the possibility of suicidality, then that's another situation. And you may need to contact someone there that can help him or any family that might live close. That's not a secret anyone should keep. But it also may be, and it's kind of a third factor, that the two of you have some insecurities in your relationship, maybe trust issues that need to be worked through honestly and carefully. And last, if you're having difficulty with focus, then perhaps you need to have an exercise regimen or begin a meditation ritual or consult a doctor or therapist yourself to help you calm down. It sounds like a great opportunity you've got. You've probably heard me talk about a worry journal. You can set aside 10 or 15 minutes a day and take that time to write out everything you're worried about. After that, if your mind wanders and begins to worry, you can catch it and say, no, 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 I'll worry about that when I write again tomorrow. This technique both honors and corrals your fear. Good luck to you and take very good care. You know, long-distance relationships are tough. My husband and I were married and we were apart for nine months and it was not easy. (laughs) So I've got a lot of empathy for people in long distance, and it's becoming more and more common. Maybe I'll do a podcast on that. Thank you so much for listening today. I cannot believe the numbers of people who are downloading self-work, and since you're one of them, you have my gratitude tell a friend, leave me a rating or review, Those, especially those written reviews on iTunes. Give me specifics about what you want to hear and what you don't want to hear. And that's what I'd like to know. You can subscribe on my website, which is com, And then you'll get a weekly newsletter that has the blog post as well as the weekly podcast. It's a really easy way of keeping in touch with me. I'm having fun over on Instagram with a series called What I've Learned as a Therapist. I actually made it to 100 days. Yahoo! (laughs) And I'm going on. I did 102 this morning. So, having a lot of fun with that. And I've started a closed Facebook group which is facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. And I'd love to have you there. Again, thanks for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret and this has been self-work.